with meditation there. It is uh, how we experience this present moment is, of course, uh, an individual. How we describe it, you know, how we relate to it. Different uh, characters, different uh, ways of uh, experiencing. So this is where, you know, language can oftentimes uh, confuse you because, uh, because maybe the way I experience it and describe it isn't exactly how you do. But uh, this is not the point. It's not to, I'm not trying to convince you that what I say is how you should be experiencing things, but pointing uh, and encouraging you to to trust in uh, the awareness. the way it is at this time as you experience it. So that's why when we read a lot or hear a lot of views and opinions about practice, meditation, so forth, it can be quite confusing because of the the description, the way people uh, want to describe their experience or how they experience it as light or or sound, or whatever, it's, uh, these things, uh, these are the issue to determine which one is right. But to have the confidence and the, the determination to, to, uh, trust in yourself. Now when I say trust in yourself, this is, kind of a contradiction because we're teaching about no self but this individual experience that you're having right now is all there is in terms of of uh, each one of us because uh, when you know when we step outside the conventional use of language and Conditioning and interpretation of experience. You know, this is, uh, I, I use the term each one, each one of us is the center of the universe in terms of the reality of this moment. So this is a reflective statement, not a, not a doctrine that I'm propounding. Uh, but uh, to to use that statement in order to uh, uh, see what what this is, what what does that mean in terms of your experience at this moment? And the simple fact that it, that for your lifetime within the this human form, you are the center of all experience, no matter who you think you are, you know. If you, Yourself as just an ordinary person, no significance, just part of the masses, and that's a creation of the mind that you're making in the present, isn't it? That you're seeing yourself in terms of uh, conventional reality, 
<coughs> and so it, it's kind of true, you know, in terms of convention. But in terms of direct experience, uh, you know, you are experiencing from where you are. And that is, uh, and that's the, that you can regard as the center point. So you're not looking for the center in some, some kind of uh, outward in a geographical location. You know, you can give up trying to find the center of the universe or the, the, the place of enlightenment or the sacred spot or the axis mundi or whatever through, uh, you know, searching for it outside because the reality of it is that this is it. And when you contemplate this, you say, oh, well, yes. When, from the time you were born to the time you die, your life is, as it happens to you, it, it impinges on you, it affects you. No matter what you think of yourself as being important, insignificant, just a face in the crowd, one of the masses, or whatever, it's not, it's not meant to be taken egotistically like claiming some superiority by proclaiming yourself as the center of the universe but because each one of us is in terms of experience so experience is now isn't it this is this is what this is what experience is that you're having right now Why I reflect like this is very important to, for you to, to really see how things are in terms of experience. You know, not in terms of how they should be, uh, ideals and, and, but in terms of how the reality of this moment is like this. <clears throat> because it's so easy for us to fall back into just the conventional assumptions we make. I'm just a face in the crowd, one of 60 million people living in Britain and, and so forth. And it's easy to operate on the level of I'm just one of you, just an ordinary guy, you know. And, <clears throat> and that is uh, how, how my personality operates. My personality isn't, isn't isn't conditioned to think of myself as as a special kind of human being, a messianic figure, or some some uh, kind of super human being or super being. But in terms of experience now, then you are in putting it in ordinary language, you are in my consciousness. I like to reflect on that because it's so obviously true. It's like I can see you, I can see your faces, but I can't see my own at this moment. Even though that maybe sound quite, you know, kind of like so what kind of uh, reaction you might have to it but that's quite significant when you pursue that that reality 
of you know this this human form consciousness that you're experiencing through this form the body is uh, is the way it is it's pleasure pain heat and cold happiness suffering praise blame success failure it's the same for for each one of us So when you, you know, to know the world is the world is, is where wisdom is. To, to, to conceive of a world as it should be is, uh, you know, is imaginative and, and idealistic. You know, how the world should be. But, uh, in, uh, Buddha Dhamma, we're just noticing the way it is. This is the world in terms of what we call the loka. The bodies, uh, the conditioned phenomena that we tend to identify with. So for each one of us, our world is important to us. You know, on a level of personality you might think well some people are more important you know the street urchins uh, economic refugees uh, political asylum seekers uh, street boys in Rio de Janeiro and so forth we can we can see you know how we regard some people as more important than others or we can be very, you know, generous and think we're all equal as a, as a kind of idealistic assumption. But we all have, we all capable of snobbery and seeing our group is somehow, uh, somehow better or superior or more important than some other. But when you contemplate the reality of this moment in terms of direct experience, it's not a matter of being male or female or, or white or black or rich or poor, but it's the same for all of us, isn't it? Each, each being, in fact, each creature is the center of its experience, the world that it lives in, whether it's a dog or a cat or human being. So our lives are important to us. No matter how insignificant you might feel you are unimportant, whether how the old like old people now tend to feel that they're they're no longer economically profitable or useful in the society. It's easy to to uh, See oneself as, you know, if I died right now, it wouldn't make much difference. Just another ant being stepped on or, you know, a, a non-entity that disappears and hardly anyone would notice. But that's not the point, is it? That's thinking, proliferating, because our life is important to us because that's what we experience. That's where experience is.
So it's in the awareness, then we're, we're actually going to that center point. Instead of just operating from the thinking mind, which is conditioned, you know, the, the way we think is, is conditioned you know, to interpret experience in various ways. And it's dualistic, so we, you know, we have ideas and ideals and standards and criteria and, and, uh, role models and so forth of how things, you know, what one should be or become, how things should be, what's right and what's wrong, friends and enemies, heaven and hell. But the, uh, the reality is getting to that point, the center point, the axis mundi, or the pure subjectivity. I'm using the words pure subjectivity because uh, that's what it is in mindfulness, with, with awareness, sati sampatanya, you're, you're reaching, you're, you're beginning to recognize the center point. The axis mundi. You're not, you won't find it. You, you, you be that. That's your true nature. It's before you become a personality or anything else. So, so like mindfulness, brings us to that point when we trust in our awareness in this present moment. It goes beyond the, the thinking process or your emotional mood at this present moment. So you can see uh, you have this pure subjectivity. It's not personal. Not Not claiming it in terms of language or perception, but recognizing this is it. And then when you try to think about it, you'll get, you'll get carried away again with your thoughts. You know, they, that maybe it's not it, maybe I'm, I'm, uh, you know, got it wrong, or better check out with the teacher, and uh, so forth, because the, the thinking, we, we give so much importance to our thinking process. So it always throws us into questioning and states of doubt, fear, uncertainty. So this is why why not this learning to trust this simple the simplicity of awareness. It's not it's not uh, like a highly attained state. It's natural, ordinary. It's not not something that that you get after years of of uh, sitting on uh, zafus, watching your breaths. So to affirm, to recognize, and realize this center point. So that's where I, you know, I, I keep 
encouraging you to to uh, open to this moment. Like if you're looking for something, like you, your meditation is merely uh, looking, you know, finding it like with, with the breath alone or with the body. Then your attention tends to shut everything else out of consciousness. So you, you, you choose to focus on one thing that's, go, that's happening at this time. And that is also, you know, that's encouraged. But to get the real feeling of awareness and sampachanya, it's the, it's the ability to open to this moment without choosing anything in it. So that's why I say it's, it's uh, like relaxing and opening it's like sigh of relief for this, this uh, letting go of everything just to be here and receive things as they are, whatever they might be. So I experience this, uh, how I've developed this is through l- the, the lis- uh, listening. Because the ability to listen is now I can listen to myself, I can listen to you, I listen to external sounds, I can listen to my own internal dialogues. I can hear my own views and opinions, conceit and pride, I can hear my own, my personality when it's frightened, when it's confused and upset when it's being reasonable and intelligent, when it's being nonsensical and stupid, I, I can hear, I know that, that these, these emotions or these thoughts or memories are, you know, that they're, they are what they are. So, in this case, and this listening... It's like uh, being in this state of equipoise, a sense of a kind of openness, poised attention. Uh, like waiting. I used to use the image of a of a North American uh, Native American tribal warrior out in the in the forest, just receiving everything, listening to the sounds of the world, to the forest, to the or whatever comes. Not not focused on anything in particular, but completely kind of open, receptive, alert, poised in attention to receive this moment.
Now I notice when I do this, then this, this sound of silence is very uh, recognizable. It's um, like a high pitch, almost electric. Uh, we can say it's a sound or a vibration or whatever, but uh, remember it's a limitation of language. Doesn't it's not you can't define it as such. But it, the point is to, to recognize it, to, to know it, rather than to uh, define it or describe it. It is the way it is. But it's a point when when you start noticing that you can't get beyond it. It's not yeah, you can distract yourself from it through thinking and through. Uh, following your emotional mood in the present, through doing things and whatnot. But if you just recognize, this is this is how I regard this center point. So, in a in a state of of poise, equipoise of attention, I'm so alert. I'm not asleep or in a trance, I'm completely present. Then it's because of the nature of the sound of silence. It's a flow, isn't it? It's not, it's not, uh, it has, it's, it's like a stream, uh, a current. So it, it connects itself. It doesn't just go, you know, A, B, C, one, two, three kind of thing. It, it has this flowing, dreamlike quality to it. So you can sustain your attention on it. You know, you can rest in it once you begin to recognize it. And you're not creating it. It's not a, you know, it's not an imagined thing. It's what I recognize now. So then the result of that, um, I've found, then the mindfulness connects because the awareness is, 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 uh, is with the flow rather than just in fragments or moments. You know, with, with most, most of us, before we start meditating, our mindfulness would tend to be fragmentary. You know, you'd have a, yeah, or mindful and then you get lost in your own problems in the world and so forth and then something would you know happen and you're aware again and then you would fall back and so forth so it's easy you know the, the, it doesn't connect you're not aware of the flow you're just mindful when, when certain strong impingement happens or something shifts or a you know, the thunder strikes or for certain tasks that you're involved in. But it has, it's not connected in any way. It's not a part of a flowing experience. So in, in recognizing this, then you begin to, to uh, experience the, the sense of connected awareness.
that sustains itself if you trust it and rest in it. It, it sustains itself. You don't have to keep kind of, you don't have to, you're not creating it. So it, it's not something that you need to hold on to, but begin to use as, as a reference. So I've used this as a reference. You know, when, a, when I recognize this sound of silence, then I'm, I know I'm, I'm aware. And then from there, because uh, because if I just assume I'm aware and I'm caught in just momentary uh, experiences of mindfulness and then I lose it, I, it's hard to get any perspective on anything. You know, so it's because you, it's kind of, the mind is, is sultry and you're just kind of jumping around, never quite sure where you're at. <clears throat> So we want to get tranquil, you know, so we can have some sense of tranquility. If we just shut everything out, shut the senses down, control the environment, then then we do have a sense of uh, of continuity, of connectedness, because there isn't the kind of demands or experiences, harsh experiences happening to us, or strong irritation. So meditators can be really, you know, desiring tranquility because then you feel you are aware for and, and sustainable for a long period of time, and then the, the door slams or or the bell rings or somebody comes in and says that a telephone somebody wants to speak to you urgently on the telephone and <laughs> you get whirled away into into uh, um, you know, the world again, and you have no reference point because your, your practice is all about shutting the world out and, and being tranquil. But the world is not, you know, it, it includes tranquility, but the world is like this, isn't it? It has, it includes everything. So, noise, disruption, pleasure, pain, beauty, ugliness, So in meditation, it's not shutting out the world, you know. It's not a world-denying, kind of annihilating practice the Buddha uh, encourages. But it's understanding the world, knower of the world. And to then uh, the enlightenment or the reality of Nibbana is the reality of awareness in which you can... See that, see the suffering you create by these blind attachments, force of habit, fears and desires that you, you tend to identify and react to and are controlled by. Now in this this uh, 
center point then, it's a point that includes everything. Like a point can be a point that excludes everything. Like samatha meditation tends to exclude. Uh, so it, you know, you're focusing on the breath or on a casina or a flame or something. And in order to do that, you have to exclude everything else. So you, you absorb or concentrate, put all your attention on one thing. So that I define as a point that excludes everything else. The point that includes everything is this center point, this awareness. Sound of silence. It includes everything. So it's, you know, and it's good to know both, we can develop samatha is certainly uh, encouraged. Concentration on a point. But uh, also, when it comes to vipassana, we need to expand the point that, to the one that includes everything rather than exclude. So just notice that the, the, uh, if you begin to trust in, in this awareness, this connectedness to this flow, this, this, uh, peaceful flow because it, sound of silence is quite peaceful when you when you uh, make friends with it it's always with you wherever you are whatever posture you're in whatever state of mind you're in whether you're in middle of London or here as you begin to recognize it and develop it then it, you develop a, a strong kind of powerful sense of a, a container for everything. You're not just helpless victim of circumstances anymore because you can contain all circumstances in this expansiveness, this unlimited, this point that includes everything. It has no limit. There's no boundary. So just notice, I'm not trying to convince you, but (laughs) notice, pay attention. Listen, listening. So you begin to notice it in the background to all music or sound or whatever. So you notice it in terms of... of, uh, the body itself or the breath like centering myself in that center point and then I can be fully aware of the, of the body as experience I mean I have a it's in a context now I have perspective on the body as experience the experience of this body as it is right now or the emotional state this will will help to mirror. It's like a mirror, so it reflects the world for you. And a mirror isn't, uh, you know, mirrors don't pick and choose. They don't decide, I'm going to only reflect beauty and 
and that is there. They'll reflect whatever comes in front of the mirror. Mm-hmm. So this is like like a mirror. It, it will reflect the, the five khandhas for you. Not in terms of of uh, intellectual definitions, but in terms of reality, of, of feeling, of of the of the body as experienced now, of feeling, of of uh, pleasure, pain, of neutral feeling, of of uh, perception, memory that arise, uh, moods, emotional states that subtle or gross. It reflects them as you, because you've got perspective. You have a space to see things in, to recognize things as they are. And in terms of the Buddha knowing the Dhamma, then it's seeing the Dhamma. All conditions, all sankharas are impermanent. You know, not not a a va- judging, value judging the 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 conditions that you're experiencing but recognizing them as for what they are Sankata Dhamma a critical mind then will will of course uh, want to make judgments about this is a good mood this is a bad mood and uh, but if you begin to see through that you don't have to to uh, Make make those judgments anymore. It is what it is. The discerning ability, the panya, is operating to discern that the mood, even if it's a bad mood, it is what it is. Rather than when you, as soon as you you start judging it as bad mood, then it's more than what it is. This is. Learning to trust on this intuitive level, you know, which we we don't tend to uh, encourage in in our own society. Mm. You know, we want to pick apart everything, analyze it in terms of good, better, best, bad, worse, worse, shoulds and shouldn'ts, right and wrong, good and bad. You know, this is this is how the critical mind works breaks everything up, divides everything, compares, analyzes. So we, when we, when we get caught in our critical faculties, then our world is always a divided experience. There's always an enemy about. There's always something wrong. It shouldn't be like that. You shouldn't feel like this. They shouldn't act that way. And because on that level, then the critical faculties into full operation, and uh, and it's operating in a different way. It's not from wisdom, but from thinking, from ideals, from imagination, from habit, from reaction, from preference, from prejudice, from the conditioning of the mind.
Now, in the fact that the Buddha gave four stages, the, the stream entry, the Sotapanna, Takata, Kami, Anakami, Anaha. And then these, then he gave a list of ten fetters, Sangyojanas, which are <clears throat> applied to these four stages. These stages are not attainments or, or they're not to be identified with as some kind of personal attainment. They're, they're, it's, they're helpful guides towards looking or recognizing experience. So the first three fetters are the fetters that we create, uh, usually our social conditioning, our, our ego, our identity, cultural conditioning, lang- our attachment to language, views and opinions. So, Takaya Ditti, the first one is, la- is the self-view, personality view. So this personality view is it is an artifice that we project onto the present. Takaditi is a Pali word. It's, a, it's, it's the, what in English we use the word ego now, the self. The sense of me and mine. I am this person, this is my body, this is, I am like this. So this is a strong, strong uh, conditioning because it, in one way, because one is the center of experience for a lifetime. Then the sense of I am is a very kind of natural thing to to uh, feel. It seems to be a, a reality. When you're trying to put it into words, isn't it? The, well, I am. You know, I am this person. I am this body. This is this is I know. This is my body, this is, these are my feelings and my thoughts, my memories, my emotions. <clears throat> so, so that, you know, the world, the societies all run on this sakyaditi as being normal. But of course it, it's also very subject to, to, it's a conditioned thing. It's not, it's not like natural. That's why it's so variable in different you know, individuals. Why people can be, you know, psychopaths and and uh, you know, serial killers or whatever, you know, ranging from saints to sinners, because uh, this is, you know, it's a conditioned attitude that we acquire about ourselves and the world we live in. So. So the uh, the Buddha in, encouraged us to explore this. What is Sakya Ditti? You know the personality view. Well, I recognize, you know, that that in this still point that I'm resting in, then uh, 
there's no sakyaditi in it if it's just what it is. There's no sense of a self. Because the sense of me being somebody, I have to start thinking. I am Ajahn Tomato. I am a Buddhist monk. I am a Theravadan. Or on and on like this. Uh, this is, these are my robes. This is my life. If I don't think, If I stop the thinking process, what, what is it like to not think? And this is where a sound of silence really helps because it does, if you begin to, to recognize it, use it, then the thinking process stops. You're just resting in this scintillating vibration. But it doesn't mean that you, you, you know, a kind of passive, uh, dumb state of being. It's, it's alert. It's alertness. There's discernment, because you can really see things from it, from this position. And so, recognizing that, that, uh, <coughs> from this pure subjectivity, there's no, I, it's not, that's not Sakyaditi. It's uh, Tamachat, it's natural. It's, I'm in a natural state of being. That and I can't, you know, I'm not claiming it on a, a something that's mine. It is what it is. Because to claim it, I have to start thinking, this is mine. So just to notice that the, the, the gaps between thoughts, uh, recognize that, you know, begin to notice that which doesn't, doesn't announce itself. You know, like fragmentary awareness is, you know, something happens, an extreme thing, so you're aware of it. Something, you know, a big thing happens, and you're, it startles you, so you're aware. Then you sink back into worry and, and uh, depression or fantasy or whatever. But in, when you find this refuge, then it it's a, it's a, gives you a background and perspective on the, the habit tendencies that you have. It's like a, you can make it into a big space to receive and the, and the attitude of the pure awareness, pure subjectivity is not, is not, because it's not thinking, it, it is, doesn't mean that it, it's not discerning. It sees things as they are. And in this way, the discernment is around the condition, unconditioned. Like all conditions are impermanent. It discern, it's not projecting this as an idea, but it's noticing rather than uh, emotionally reacting to the quality, you know, that's important or, or trivial or good or bad. And if we don't have this point, then we just react to everything. It's beautiful, we, and it's important, it's urgent, and we get all wound up by it, and it's 
boring or stupid or nonsensical or ugly. We we just want to get rid of it. We all have our buttons that get pushed. So somebody says something and we get go into into a, some kind of state of anxiety or anger because somebody said something you didn't like. And I, was, uh, I was traveling with another monk last year who had strong views about the present American government. So I could just say Bush and he'd go... <laughs> and it worked every time. <laughs> I used to do that when Mrs. Thatcher was Prime Minister <laughs> and when on retreat because people hated her so much. I'd say, Mrs. Thatcher. And go, <laughs> but I'm practicing metta, you know. They have metta for Mrs. Thatcher. And some people said, oh, I can't have metta for her. <laughs> Just the, the, the name triggers off this reaction of aversion. <clears throat> So this is a prejudice, this isn't a habit. Um, and just noticing, it's not to even, you know, not to despise these, but to recognize them. Because if your life is merely a reactive one, then, then you are a victim of it. You know, if things don't go your way and, and uh, the right people don't get the important positions and so forth, then we just help as victims of circumstances all the time. But if we have this perspective, then it, it contains all that. It doesn't mean it's not approving or disapproving, but discerning it. So that we're not caught helplessly in, in just reactivity, emotional reactivity. Now, to me, the like stream entry then is is, it's, is the first three fetters are all around the artifices that we we create through our conditioning, like social, cultural conditioning, uh, the ego, and the, and the thinking habits, attachment to thoughts. So, like sakyaditi is the personality view. So if, if we don't recognize Sakyaditi for what it is as Sakyaditi, then we're always experiencing life from our personality view. You know, so I'm, I'm empowering this, this personality of mine all the time to interpret experience. And my personality is, it was conditioned out of ignorance. It's not a personality that was conditioned out of enlightenment and wisdom. So my personality can, it, I can easily get on, an, on, on that level, be, I have the buttons, same as anyone else, where people can trigger, 
you know, say things or do things that upset me, offend me, uh, that th say things I like and make me feel safe and loved and good and others that make me feel upset and threatened and worried. Because that's how my personality is. If, I, if that's my refuge, then I am. I'm just, life is incredibly difficult for me. So it, and, and that's just the way it is. It's, if I give, you know, the power to this personality as my refuge, then my life is, is a, you know, quite a lot of suffering. Because there's always something to worry about. And, uh, and if there isn't, I can always find something to worry about. I like the future, isn't it? The future is always, you can always worry, if you want to worry, you can always worry about the future because it, you don't know, is it? It's the unknown. So if you're into worrying, uh, just, you know, what's the future of the world, the future of the UK, future of the European Union? Uh, what's the future, what's my future? Will you still need me? Will you still feed me? <laughs> What's the future of Amravati? What's the future of the Sangha here in the West? Monks and nuns like to worry about that. What do you think is going to happen to the, the monastic Sangha here in the West? And uh, Buddhism in the future. I get invited to give, you know, to conferences or universities or things where they always want, want, want you to give talks on the future of Buddhism in the West or Buddhism and globalization. And when I was in Chile, uh, you know, I gave a talk at the university. The subject was uh, Buddhism and globalization in Latin America. <laughs> <laughs> Only in a university would they think up a title like that. <laughs> so the like the awareness and getting back to the source, getting to the root, getting to the center point. So this is something quite natural for us. It's, and I keep emphasizing this because meditation techniques and the way people talk about meditation and the way you might hold or grasp the view of meditation makes it all sound very difficult and remote and, and uh, almost, you know, because it, the way when you think about meditation or think about the center point or think about awareness, it can sound complicated and difficult. Because language does that. It makes everything more complicated. It, it, you know, it, you create problems about it rather than trusting, intuitively trusting in the directness of just this simple poised attention 
which I experience as a kind of listening, like radar, that it, that it kind of has it, you know, can pick up on a wide spectrum, sound on, on a wide spectrum. So then the Sakyaditi, you know, the pure subject isn't, isn't Sakyaditi. So to, to discern the difference between pure awareness, pure subjectivity, and Sakyaditi, the ego. So that's why I, I point to this, this, uh, this, uh, this is, this is how I experience it. This, this awareness, the thinking process isn't dominating. I'm not attached to thinking, but to, I'm resting in this awareness. I'm not attached to the idea of being aware, because that's another view. <clears throat> resting, alert, attentive, open, receptive. So in, in, uh, during this retreat, just like, just, just try, see if you can kind of encourage yourself in this direction, rather than becoming a kind of compulsive meditator and, uh, you know, try seeking tranquility, begin to just explore this more. What, what, what makes, what helps you to relax? What kind of thoughts or, uh, mantras or situations where you can just kind of Give a sigh of relief and just be yourself and relax. You know, without having to try to get samadhi or or tranquility or peace or anything like that by efforts and trying to control your mind. So you begin to get a sense for this uh, sense, uh, just a a kind of pakpon tang jitjai, holiday of the heart, or the rest of the rest of the mind, a rest for the mind, and then uh, when now for me I experience the sound of silence. So then the, the thinking process stops. Stop thinking. I notice. I can still discern. No thinking. Or the thinking that I'm doing is, is more or less pointing at the reality. It's not just wandering thinking. Like going off, planning the future or regretting the past. It's just the, the thought. This, this, I use thought then more skillfully to, to notice emptiness or stillness like this. I make very conscious so that consciousness is being informed with wisdom. Consciousness is not just letting any old thing operate according to its habits, but is you're using wisdom, panya, with the reality of consciousness at this moment. Then I can create myself. I sometimes I, I used to intentionally create myself. I am Ajahn Sumedho and I am like this and that. 
and just listen to myself, to my sakyaditi habits. So then I began to think that you know, I'm really not that at all. Those are those are just habits of the mind. Ways you know. If I if I'm not aware, then I usually fall back into the sakyaditi and interpret experience always from this highly personal way. Everything's happening to me. It's not fair. It shouldn't be like this. I shouldn't be like this. The world shouldn't be like this. I don't like this. I like that person. I don't like that one. And then I, and, and then, you know, one, one has developed all kinds of, um, ways of handling situations as a personality to protect yourself from being hurt or offended or upset. <clears throat> so one lives in this kind of anxiety, fear, because, you know, things can happen, you know, get a loose cannon into the monastery. Use this, I hate hearing this term, loose cannon. Some, some kind of human being that is unpredictable, you can't, you know, then you don't know what they're going to do. We want you all to behave yourself, you know, so I can feel safe, you know, and, and, uh, you know, you know, then I can control everything and I feel safe because everybody's being obedient and being good and not upsetting me. Then you get the loose cannon come in. Oh, we can't have people like that in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> and so we uh, we become very protective, you know, because loose cannons can can really, you know, upset upset the whole community. If we're all into into perpetuating this this tranquility is our goal, or the sudden unknown thing, the alien from outer space comes in, you know, a spaceship or a flying saucer lands out in the field, I'm about to you know, the fears of unknown forces, alien forces coming in and disrupting. What will he do, you know, and my personality just hopes it doesn't happen, you know. I can become very controlling, wanting to make sure, you know, we have all the fences built up, you know, like so that you can build a a big wall around Amravati, huge wall with barbed wire at the top and broken glass and burglar alarms at the gates. Keep out the aliens or the loose cannons. Then, uh, you know, so we can kind of form a little group to, of self-protection. But in, but then even our best attempts at doing that end up usually in incredible, causing even more problems and difficulties. So that liberation then isn't through, through building walls to protect yourself, but in letting go of that, letting go of everything to recognize the rea- the rea- to, to realize the reality. This is reality, this awareness. It includes everything, the aliens from outer space, loose cannons, the 
the the good, the bad, the ones that follow, the ones that don't follow. So there's, it's like everything belongs then. And because it's, it's the pure subjectivity is the refuge, then I have perspective on my emotional reactions, on my sakyaditi reaction. The anxiety or the threat or the fears and the anger or whatever that arise in regards to experience. If I don't have that perspective on Sakyaditi, then I just become this personality. I just get lost in my own uh, conditioned personality. So this is where I trust in this awareness rather than in my emotional habits, my opinions and views, my personality habits. I don't trust that, but I know it. You know, I can, I've, over the years, it's, you get to know it and all its kind of subtleties and, and that, and not judging it because some of it's quite alright, you know, but it, it's not, not a refuge, even the good, the, even the best of it is not the refuge because you can't, it's not sustainable. It's always dependent on conditions. And you, you, you just want end up controlling life, trying to protect yourself as a person all the time. So, this, uh, this, and this is liberation when, from this pure subjectivity because it's, uh, it's a universal. It's not mine, it's not something I create and that is my thing. So then you test it out on through you know your life here. See it as a you know this is a place where a very nice situation where where you're kind of out of the the battlefield of or the you know the highly competitive uh, activities of modern life and family life and so forth. So you're living in a, an environment that's, that has a high standard of moral commitment. So you're safe, you know, generally you're, you know, you're, we're not uh, hitting each other or intentionally lying or cheating or exploiting or abusing or things like this to each other. We have some kind of moral agreement on how we we live with each other here in this place. And then the, the Dhamma Vinya is encouraged. But even in, as you all know, even in a place like this, one can get very upset, very, you know, it's, it's so easy to get upset and offended and anxious and worried and angry and righteous. And so these are the experiences, you know, to work with when they happen here. To really put them, you know, if somebody really offends you, upsets you, uh, you know, I, 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 I practice with those things. So that, 
you know, I can, I'm willing to be offended or upset. I'm willing to practice with, with uh, what happens to me. And in my life so far as a monk, nothing all that bad has happened. You know, I've never been threatened, uh, life-threatening experience or, you know, the, the things that do happen are relatively, you know, manageable for me. So I get my confidence not through... I'm going out into the world and challenge the system and, you know, just see how everything is and, uh, you know, jump into the deep end, but, uh, learning to, to work with the life even when it's at its relative best. You know, because even at its best, there's, there's all kinds of unknown factors and problems arise in the community and, and, uh, difficult situations and whatnot. So this is, this is just part of the world, worldly experience. How do I handle that? Now what I do is I practice with it. First I rest in the stillness where I can get some perspective on the feeling of, of somebody's, somebody's upset because of somebody did this, they, something they shouldn't have and then it's reported to me. And then I, I try to, rather than get, you know, wound up into taking sides, I try to just observe how that affects me when I hear, hear about things or people's uh, opinions of me. People, sometimes in the past, people you know, become very angry with me so they, they tell me off or... or uh, accuse me of things uh, and and of course on a personal level it hurts you know painful but on the level of awareness I can use those things because I find that that uh, I, I'm as a personality I'm very frightened of, of criticism and it's hard to take people's criticisms as, uh, from on a personal level. So it it's very... Um, this was a, a weakness, a very bad weakness of mine, where, when, you know, because when you're uh, head of a community, people are going to criticize you. So it, it's like, you know, the fear and anxiety around it all the time on a personal level. Then going into this refuge of the still point, I began to have perspective on that general feeling of anxiety, that kind of, you know, you know, not wanting to confront, not wanting to, you know, f- afraid of what people think, of people's criticisms of me. And not, you know, just either, and when, when they would confront me, because why then I'd be just reaction. I get very defensive, or I'd feel very depressed, or very aggressive, very righteous, blaming. I could blame them, or I could blame myself. There'd be different reactions to to criticism. But in this refuge of 
of uh, awareness, then I could see these movements of wanting to defend or blame, blame somebody else. You get to recognize that, that, that movement of the mind where somebody says something and you, you have this sudden arising of oh, how dare you say that kind of feeling. So it's like this listening, learning to listen. You're listening both to, to the um, external, to the criticisms, and to the reactions you're experiencing inside yourself, the kind of emotional reactions to it. And by keeping centered in this stillness, you know, it contains it. You begin to not create suffering anymore. You know, so like... If you trust in this practice, eventually, like if fear falls away, that kind of anxiety that hangs around us about the future and things going wrong and whatnot, the you you have a, you develop this realize there's nothing to fear. If your refuge is in this awareness, pure subjectivity, rather than the false subjectivity of me and mine. As soon as I fall back into that, into my personality, I know better now. But at first, you know, when I first discovered this or realized this, it is, it is so easy to just, you know, the habit of the personality view was, was the stronger force. So it's just, you know, easy to fall back and, and into the old personal habits, ways of thinking and reacting. But once you, once you begin to really recognize and appreciate this, you know, there's no, no other choice anymore. Who wants to spend one's life, you know, as a helpless victim of fate? Just caught in the personality conditioning. You spend years going to therapists and psychoanalysts to try to deal with it, try to make a better personality out of it. Or, to, you know, to, to use it for uh, this awareness where you recognize what you really are then. You know, you're, you begin to liberate yourself from the boundaries, the limitation, the suffocation of being a personality, of becoming always this personality according to what's happening. So you can you begin to to treasure this awareness. It's oftentimes referred to as the jewel in the lotus, or <laughs> like a jewel is a treasure, isn't it? So it it's the treasure. <clears throat> the lotus could be the the body, or this this formation here, and the jewel is this awareness. So it's not finding the jewel as an object because you never will find it. You just learn to trust in it, be it. You have to give up wanting to find it in order to just be it, to be this way, to be the awareness.
So being uh, Ajahn Sumato, Lumpa Sumato is a convention. Just exploring that, and, or being, you know, sometimes, you know, the titles one gets. I'm aware, you know, like, like, uh, like the identity with, with, with being uh, even a, uh, like a Buddhist monk, a bhikkhu, or a ajahn, or in, in Thailand I have a, I have a high class title. You go, Tanjau Kun, and that's, that's pretty, you know, that's pretty posh title in Thailand. Doesn't mean anything here. <laughs> but in uh, in uh, in uh, but I'm aware of the of the way you know of identity with any title or any concept whatsoever of just being a, a man a male you're getting beyond the gender with this awareness it has no it has no gender to it doesn't prefer one over the other. It has no race or nationality or class or anything like this. So it's, it's available to us all equally. It's not, not a special prerogative of only certain privileged groups. But it is, uh, you know, it is subtle. And the power of delusion is, is, for most human beings, is is, is overpowering. So that's where, in, in this time, to see the opportunity to to break through these the, the power of delusion, to break down that that kind of ignorance, not through through destroying it, but through understanding. So it's not like in a an attack on the world, but understanding, as you know, through the experiences you have as an individual human being. Because the worldly conditions are all the same. I mean, they're, they're all on the discerning level. They're all sankharas, the rise and cease. No matter how personal or unique or strange or unusual good or bad the conditions might be, we're now looking at them as they are in the present, as they arise and cease. And so it's no longer, you know, where I personally, then I prefer some things to other things. I like, I don't like, and I know what should be according to an ideal of what I want from Abhati. I know what I want and how it should be as a monastery and how it shouldn't be and and I've got, you know, certainly capable of creating idea, great ideas and, and, uh, knowing the best from the worst, I can do that and I can, uh, operate on that level also. But I've never been able to create a perfect monastery. <coughs> you know, it's just, uh, I try. I, I used to try. What not? I used to try there. Chitters. 
you know, wanting to have, you know, high standards and only kind of best high forest tradition, high standards, really strict Vinaya and all the best is how it should be. And uh, never quite, ever quite, you know, never succeeding really. And, uh, and, and recognizing, you know, the attachment I had to the ideal monastery of wanting my monastery to be the best. So I began to let go of that, you know, that seeing the suffering it was to be a head monk of a monastery and then always being critical of it because it never is as good as you want it to be. Are always worried that it's going to degenerate, or when it shows signs of change, people start leaving or can't live it anymore because I'm I'm too tyrannical. <laughs> then, then uh, what do you do? What happens? So the refuge then is always in the mind, isn't it? In the in this awareness. That you can always use, though that the the object of our life is not to create perfect communities and orders of monks and nuns and Buddhism in the West and all these. If this is the result of our practice, that's fine. But this isn't the this isn't the goal for me anyway. It is this development, this strengthening of this awareness to where you realize the unshakable deliverance of the heart. Agupa Jeda Vimuti is called. The Pali word Agupa is unshakable. So this, once you trust and fully rest in this center point, it's unshakable. Well, everything else is shaking, it doesn't. So, in terms of practice, then beginning to to, to notice, to, to recognize. At first, it doesn't seem like anything at all. So, nothing like you know, like finding a, the rock of Gibraltar in your heart, and knowing that this is an unshakable rock. It seems, you know, it doesn't seem like very much at all. It seems like nothing because it's not objectified. It's it's recognized. And the more you 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 develop your pavana, then is a more continuous recognition or rea- realization. This third noble truth, realizing, strengthening pavana, practicing, cultivating this, till it till you recognize the unshakableness. So, anyway, reflect what I said this morning, and may it be a benefit and encouragement to you for today.